Welcome back, everyone, to the Madness and Grace podcast. Today, I'm here with Matt, like usual. We also are joined by our guest, Dr. Peggy Datermeyer. How are you doing, Peggy? Doing well. Great. Matt, you want to introduce our guest today? Yeah, we're excited to have Peggy with us today. She's one of of the Hope and Healing Center family, and uh, she has a lot of great information uh, to bring to us today about aging, particularly aging parents. Peggy is a board cert- or a retired board-certified chaplain. She received her PhD in the medical humanities with a concentration in healthcare ethics and policy from the University of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston. She is presently the director of our CARES program and McGee Fellow at the Hope and Healing Center and Institute. Uh, there she develops and offers programs and training for healthcare professionals, community members, in the areas of aging, caregiving, and ethics, and serves as the chair of the CARES Community Healthcare Ethics Consultation Service, which provides services for patients and families with care plan issues. Her research interests include end-of-life planning, health literacy, nurse empowerment, and physician-parent, excuse me, physician-patient communication. She received a Master's of Divinity from Perkins School of Theology and a Master's in Business Administration from the Wharton School. She's a certified healthcare ethics consultant, member of the American Society for Bioethics and Humanities, the Houston Gerontological Society, where she is presently the president, uh, and an associate member of the UT Health Consortium on Aging. She also teaches medical ethics at the University of Houston. We're very happy to have Dr. Datermeyer with us. So, Peggy, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. Well, Peggy, I will kick us off with our first question. I just wanted to ask what got you into the field of bioethics and aging in the first place? How did that come to be? Well, as you were listening to my credentials that Matt was reading so eloquently, you see that I've reinvented myself several times over the years. I went from being in the business world uh, to transitioning to hospital chaplaincy, where I worked primarily in ICUs. I guess about 80% of my time was spent with patients and families in an intensive care unit setting, which as you can probably imagine was pretty intense. And what I found in that work was that doctors were really good doctors and they were terrible communicators. Mm -hmm. And so I took it upon myself to learn more about the whole areas of patient physician communication and ethics and how this plays out at the bedside and how that plays out when we work with uh, people with different health issues. And so I ended up at the University of Texas Medical Branch, which has um, a very good program, a doctoral program. At the time, it was called The medical humanities, they've rebranded to be the Institute for Bioethics and the Health Humanities. But that gave me an opportunity to um, get very versant with issues that patients and families face. Um, I was working on my doctorate while I was working as a bedside chaplain. So I would take the work I did at the bedside and take it to the classroom. And I would take the work I did in the classroom and take it back to the bedside. Mm -hmm. And when I was finishing up my program there, a colleague said, what are you going to do next? And he introduced me to the Hope and Healing Center. And so I sent an email, and now almost seven years later, here I am. 
We're so happy to have you. <laughs> sort of a long story, but I like telling it because I think it's a fun way about how God works in our lives and mm-hmm. how we end up doing new things. Absolutely, totally. absolutely. And my, and my path here was quite similar, just kind of different. I told someone the other day, you know, uh, different career, same set of skills. That was, that was kind of how, that, you know, how I looked at it. So, yeah, you know, today we're talking about uh, aging. And, and to kind of focus that more, we're talking specifically about uh, uh, aging parents, which is something that uh, I know I'm, I'm dealing with and a lot of my friends are dealing with at this point as well. And so, you know, I was just wondering, Peggy, what are, you know, some of the most common concerns or problems that people are coming to you in relationship to kind of navigating that aging parent or parents world? That's a really good question. Um, it, it plays out in a myriad of ways. Part of it is um, helping folks uh, continue to make meaning in their lives because as we get older, uh, we have different areas of our lives that begin to uh, change. Our physical abilities change. Uh, sometimes our mental abilities change. Uh, the things we have done of people may retire, they may transition from paid work to volunteer work. Um, But the single biggest thing I see happening, uh, particularly um, when folks are coming to me and saying, this is happening with my parents, Mm -hmm. it relates back to caregiving because people are finding that suddenly they're being thrust into the position, and maybe you have found this as well, Matt, of parenting your parents. Mm -hmm. And that has so many implications on so many levels. We have uh, the mandate to honor your father and your mother. That's a biblical mandate that many of the world's traditions honor. And I think almost all of the traditions that we look at have a mandate to honor our elders. And sometimes we're not so good at it. But caregiving becomes a new way because we don't think about being caregivers. It's not something we train for. You know, even as parents, uh, my husband used to say, you get lots of stuff to read, but you don't have time to read any of it. And so when we're Turning that around with our parents, there's a whole new landscape to maneuver. Um, I like what Rosalind Carter has said, uh, that there are four kinds of people in the world. People who have been caregivers, people who are caregivers, people who will need caregivers, and those who will be caregivers. And and that's, uh, when you look at the statistics now of the number of people in the In the United States, it's estimated that one in five people is taking care of another adult Mm -hmm. or someone with some form of a disability. That's a pretty high number when Mm -hmm. you think about it. Right, absolutely. So in this context of, you know, being a caregiver, so when they come to you, uh, does this tend to be along the same kind of lines? Like maybe, I remember a family came to me and said that their elderly mother had continued to leave the, uh, the tea kettle on, on the oven or on the stove until it melted and they were afraid that 
uh, or they're afraid uh, of the driving skills or those types of things that they're coming to you for? And then, and then do they even think about that in the context of caregiving? Maybe not initially, but it becomes as we talk further about how, remember I said we end up parenting our parents. Mm-hmm. When you have, when you're parenting your child, you have the expectation that your child will learn stuff and grow up. Mm-hmm. With our parents, it's the reverse. Uh, lack of a better term, they start to unlearn things. And um, we, for example, Lots of folks are saying, well, do you think my folks could have dementia? Well, when you look at the statistics, people over 65, there's a 1 in 10 chance, and people over 85, there's a 1 in 3 chance that a person has some dementia going on. And we tend to think about dementia about as a memory problem, but it's more than a memory problem. It's a brain problem. Because we have to think about what are all the different things that our brains do for us. Executive planning, thinking about directions, thinking about, oh, I left that pot on. Uh, Thinking about what do I do next in the course of a day? What appointments do I have? And all of those things start to play in. And I have people coming to me saying, well, gee, yeah, mom's a little bit forgetful, but I'm more worried about some of this other stuff that's happening. And we have to start thinking then about, okay, what are the steps? How do we get them checked out? You know, I always tell people, make sure they've had a physical, because if they haven't, there are physical things that manifest as aging problems or uh, brain problems but they can be managed with maybe a diet change or a medication supplement or something along those lines. Um, so there, there are all of these different things going on at once, and it gets confusing. And, and then if somebody does get diagnosed with a dementia issue, and remember, dementia is the pie, and there are lots of different kinds of dementia that play out different ways in our lives and how we... Uh, work. But if there is some dementia going on, you can start exploring about what is going on and what things do your parents need help with. Mm-hmm. Well, kind of going back to what you said, you know, I feel like this topic can be compared to parenting a lot of the time. You said you're parenting your parents now. Kind of segues good into the next point. In an NPR interview with former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice, she says that she was asked to join the George W. Bush administration as national security advisor, but she said no due to the fact that her father had suffered a stroke and she didn't want to leave him. She said, if I had children, people would understand, but since it's my father, I don't think they would understand. Peggy, do you find that a lot of people do misunderstand those who have to care for their parents? Is there stigma around that? Can you speak to that a little? It depends on where someone is on that Rosalind Carter spectrum. If they have begun to see the issues or if they have been good friends with someone who has had this experience, there's less of a stigma because there's the, you know, walk a mile in my moccasins. They know how hard it is. Yeah. They, they They have gotten introduced to the challenges of, of what to do and how to do it and all the different complicating factors. Right. Think about trying to tell your parent 
that they can't drive anymore. Mm -hmm. Driving is, I view that as kind of the epitome of independence in our culture. Because if you can drive somewhere, you can go to the grocery store, you can go visit your friends, you can go places. There are all kinds of things you can do. And I was lucky when my dad got to that point, my brothers and I didn't have to be the bad guys. Because his doctor told him, you can't drive anymore. Mm -hmm. And my dad was of a school of thought that said, doctors are power people and you listen to what they tell you. So I was very fortunate. But I've talked to so many people where they've had to hide keys or make duplicate sets of keys and hide them. Mm -hmm. And then their parents find them and they still go out. And when you think about the challenges of that, of somebody potentially getting into an accident and hurting someone, it's it gets really heavy on mm-hmm. someone. Absolutely. I actually remember a family that I worked with, I'm giggling, it's not really that funny, but a couple of sisters uh, had an elderly father who also, he also had an alcohol problem, but he was doing that. He was going on driving and really unsafe and having some wrecks and, uh, you know, they they hide keys from him, he'd get more keys and things like that. So I actually uh, taught them how to disable his car by you know disconnecting the distributor cap or a, or a, a spark plug, uh, and you know what that guy did? He walked several blocks and rented a car. Oh my goodness! And so, uh, and ultimately, he drove a car right into the side of a church, and that was when he wow. finally agreed he shouldn't drive anymore. But I just thought it was really interesting. Uh, you know, he uh, he was having a lot of problems, a lot of cognitive issues, a lot of motor issues, uh, and yet. You know, he was he was very determined that he was going to continue. He knew where to go to get a car. Absolutely. (laughs) He knew how to get there. He walked down there. So um, I'm going to kind of ask you really about two groups here. So you've got people out there, uh, you know, if you put them in the Rosalind Carter kind of context, particularly with parents, uh, you've got people out there that uh, aren't caregivers of aging parents yet, but their parents may be aging. And you've got people out there that are noticing that their parents are having problems and they're wondering if they need to do something. It, are the, you know, if you think about those two groups, what what are some real simple bullet points uh, advice you might give to those two groups? One who doesn't have, doesn't have a problem yet, maybe their parents aren't even old enough yet, uh, and uh, one who's starting to see the issues. First of all, as I said a few minutes ago, encourage them to get a physical. That every almost every journey starts with a good physical understanding of what someone's capabilities are. Um, In Houston, we're very fortunate. Baylor and UT Health both have healthy aging centers, and both of them have not only physical health resources, but mental health resources. Because when we start to talk about mental health, that's a whole nother ballgame. The other thing is to start to talk to them, particularly if they're not having issues yet, start to talk to them about What's important to you? What what kind of things help you make meaning? And how does your health fit into this? Because as people are aging, as I said, you have physical changes, you have mental changes, you have changes with your environment. We do have a culture that's kind of anti-aging. But if you start with good physical health, or at least an understanding of when someone's capabilities are. From there, you can go to what the needs are. 
and then talk to your parents about what's important to them. And as their prospective caregivers, even though if you're not a caregiver right now and you don't anticipate needing to do stuff for them for another five or ten years, God willing, is you at least help them to think about what's important to me. So at the Open Healing Center, we have a wonderful program called Aging with Grace that covers the healthcare, legal living, and financial aspects of aging. So it's on our website. You can watch all four programs, and that gives you an idea of the kinds of things that they might need to think about to make sure that their health directives are in place, to make sure their legal plans are in place, to make sure they've thought about what they're living, what they prefer their living arrangements to look like. And then finally, do we have the financial resources to deal with all of that? So for folks who are just embarking on the journey, get smart about some of the different things that you may have to think about and that they may have to think about over the long term. Um, I don't know if you remember last year, Matt, um, one of our former board members had come to one of my presentations and came up to me at an event and said, Peggy, I want to thank you. I was able to have this conversation with my dad. We knew he was he had a progressive uh, medical condition that would eventually limit his life. And I was able to talk to him about what was important to, to him. And he identified three things. He said he wanted to be able to spend as much time as possible at his ranch and play with his grandkids. He wanted to not spend all of his assets on medical care, and he didn't want to be in pain. And he said, you know, we were able to work with him on all of those things as his life proceeded. And he eventually died, but he died on his terms. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's good. So having that conversation early certainly is going to save you a lot of uh, distress in the latter half of their, or latter part of their life. It'll save a lot of guilt, the woulda, shoulda, couldas. That's good. That's mm -hmm. very good. You kind of touched on a couple of the resources that we have. You talked about our Aging with Grace series that's up on our website. Um, that's under the resources tab if you're listening and want to check that out. But what other resources are out there and Kind of what are you guys doing through HHCI Cares for these people? So we we have lots of community education programs, both for community members and professionals. Yeah. Because um, with professionals, remember I said at the very beginning of this conversation that I didn't like the way doctors talk to families and patients. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things we have in this country is we have a dismal state of health literacy. Doctors use terms and acronyms that people don't just know what they mean. Mm -hmm. and, and this is bound out by not just my work, my, my own research, but also the research of people who are um, spending a lot of their time working with this. Mm -hmm. um, so starting to learn some of the lingo that doctors use, but it's also important for doctors to have some skills, listening skills, and conversational skills with families because they have a habit of interrupting people when they're you walk in the office and they say, well, what brings you here today? And you start to tell you and they've timed it and doctors interrupt within 18 seconds. Mm -hmm. And I've had doctors tell me, oh, we don't have more time than that. 
And they've also done research on how long doctors need to listen to get good information, and it's 90 seconds, Mm -hmm. to which my comment back to them is, you have 90 seconds. Mm -hmm. So um, that educational experience is important for both professionals and for community members. Um, We also have a lot of support groups Mm -hmm. uh, because... There are things going on that people need to talk to other people to say, this has been my experience, what's been your experience? And to that end, I'm writing a grant right now to um, try to develop, apply our model of peer coaching for mental health to caregiving Mm -hmm. uh, so that people who find themselves in that caregiving slot can, can find a mentor to walk the walk with them. Um, The other thing we do is we have one-on-one coaching so that if somebody just really needs to talk to someone, um, as I'm very clear about saying, my colleague and I are not therapists, but we're chaplains and we're trained to listen. And with the big, big extra twist is that we have resources that we've been collecting here at the Hope and Healing Center that are by no means comprehensive of all the resources in the world but they're common resources from people. As I say, I've been people have been asking me questions for seven years, and I take those questions and I turn them into uh, write a written response uh, in our CARES resources. Yeah. Um, starting with what I think is the best kept secret on the planet is the Area Agency on Aging. It's a Medicare-funded agency that is in every city and county in the nation. And they have all kinds of helps on housing, on caregiving, on um, different resources that people who are aging need. And you, it may take a few phone calls to find the right person, but I have found them to just be an incredible help. And the different things that they have access to and that they can help you with are just phenomenal. And it's free. There are lots of resources. You may have to hunt, but Mm -hmm. there are good ones out there. But Peggy, thank you so much for sharing. It's such an important topic that I think is not talked about enough. So many people have to go through it. Um, I've seen my family go through it. My parents already kind of have a plan in place, um, even though they're not close to that yet. But, you know, so thank you for sharing that, Peggy. My pleasure. Yeah. And as always, I'm going to leave all of our Hope and Healing Center uh, information in our show notes. That'll be our website and our Hope line, um, all of that stuff. And thanks so much for being here, Peggy. And thank you, Matt. Thank you, Emily. Thanks, Peggy.